Well, good morning. How are we? Everybody doing well? well my name is Aaron. Uh, I get the privilege of being here today, which is pretty awesome. Like he said, um, I have two jobs. Does anybody else in here have two jobs? It's, it's fun when you have two jobs, right? I don't know which job I love more. Um, my one job is I get to be one of the pastors at Movement Christian Church. And uh, a few weeks ago, you guys got to meet my best friend in the world, Josh Adsit, and uh, he is a bundle of energy, and uh, he has a lot of hair, and he's awesome, and I love working with him, and uh, just the ministry we get to do in Merrimack, and just seeing how God's moving over there. So that's one job, and then my other job is I get to work with Restoration House Ministries, which many of you are familiar with, where we get to uh, work together to try to transform the spiritual landscape of New England, and God is moving in many of our churches, and uh, at that role, I get to lead a residency program where I work with uh, college-age graduates that want to come spend a year with us in New England and learn about ministry and then hopefully integrate them into churches like we just did with Andrew Frost. My boy Andrew Frost, one of our residents, yes. Um, So I get to do all kinds of fun stuff. So I don't know what I love more, but then I also get to be with you guys today, which is even more awesome, right? So uh, it's just a fun place to be. So Ben talked to me about uh, this series you guys are in called The Way, and specifically as we kind of shift towards the end of this series, we're shifting to this thing called the way to, and specifically today, we're going to talk about the way to hospitality. So he tasked me with this, this topic of hospitality, and specifically a question that he wanted me to wrestle with, and for us all to wrestle with together, which is this, how can hospitality lead someone to a relationship with Jesus? How can hospitality lead someone to a relationship with Jesus? So I've been wrestling with this question a lot, because hospitality can look a lot of different ways to a lot of different people. Um, you may not be able to tell from my accent, but I'm not from New England um, natively. And so I actually, I've only been here five years. I don't know how long it takes to be a native New Englander, but I feel like I'm getting there. Like I, I wait till the end to merge in with people. And, you know, I, I, I do a lot of things and I'm like, what, what is happening to me? But anyway, that's a side note. But we, uh, you know, I moved to New England and, and hospitality looks very differently than it did in Oklahoma where I grew up. I don't, I don't know if you realize that. It's, it's very different hospitality. In fact, um, you know, I remember the first time someone invited me over for dinner, which was like two years after I'd been here. Um, <laughs> that's, that's one way it looked different, right? It, it is, I, I finally got an invitation over to somebody's house. And, and, you know, in Oklahoma, you sit down for a meal and you hang out. And then afterwards, you have dessert and the kids play and you talk. And eventually, at some point, you go home. So I remember my first meal experience in New England. We came over, we had dinner, we went home. <laughs> that was it. That was it, right? It was like totally different. So, uh, and, and then I, when I took this role at Restoration House, I actually uh, moved into the Restoration House. Our headquarters is literally a 12-bedroom house, and I lived there, and I have for the last year. And uh, it's taught me a lot about hospitality because people from all over the country, people from all over the world come and stay at our house. And so frequently, like when I get home today, I might walk in, and there would just be somebody I don't know in my living room or my kitchen. And um, it's taught me a lot about how to be hospitable because you're always entertaining these people from all over the place. And I remember specifically the very first week that I moved into Restoration House, there was this guy that was already living there. And I would walk into the, to the living room, and he was always in the, in the living room. He was like hogging the remote to the TV, you know what I'm saying? And he was always watching Cincinnati Reds games, always watching Cincinnati Bengals games. And I'm like, man, you're in New England. You realize that, right? Like, let's watch the Pats or the Sox. He's like, no, man, I'm a Cincinnati fan. I was like, whatever. And then I'd walk in the next day, be watching it again, you know, eating Chinese food or clipping his toenails. He was just like, he was like, I'm like, who, who is this guy? And he's like, oh, I'm Ben Seaman. I'm the pastor at Rockingham Christian Church. And I was like, oh. 
<laughs> so no, I love Ben. But he, he, you know, he, you guys are very hospitable to let Ben in these doors, being a Cincinnati fan. So I appreciate your hospitality. But I think hospitality looks different to different people in different places and different seasons. And I've been kind of wrestling with this idea because I think when we have this word hospitality pop in our minds, we have like an image that comes to our mind. And it's probably something like a cookout where you invite people over and you grill some hamburgers, or maybe it's a Super Bowl party that comes to mind. Maybe it's just a dinner where you invite somebody over, but there's something that comes, some kind of imagery that comes to your mind when you think of hospitality. And usually the imagery involves a, like a party type atmosphere and food, right? That's what we think of when we think of hospitality. Um, so, but I wanted to like really understand it, so I decided I should probably figure out what the actual definition is. So um, I decided that I would look that up in a dictionary. No, not really, because we don't do that anymore. So I Googled it. Actually, one lady in first service said she did still use a dictionary. Does anybody still use a dictionary? Couple of you. All right. Well, I Googled it. This is what it says the definition is. It says this. The friendly and generous reception and entertainment of guests, visitors, or strangers which is kind of the imagery we'd probably think about. But when you look at it a little bit deeper and you actually dive into the root words that made up hospitality, you find that it actually has a little bit more of a meaning to it. Um, there's actually, it comes from two root words, which are Latin, which mean um, hostis and hospice. And they actually mean like this idea and this imagery of like guests and strangers, but it actually takes it a little bit deeper. It actually means enemy too. And, and we get words from uh, this root word like hostility, and hostile, because there's this, this undertone of like, it's not just that we entertain people we don't know, we actually entertain people that don't like us. We actually entertain people that are maybe our enemies, which is very much something that Jesus talks about. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. And then there's also, it forms these other words that we use, which are like hospital, hospi um, hostel, hotel. So there's this idea of like, we, we house in guests. And so it looks, I think, a little bit different, right? than maybe what we first come to mind. Because oftentimes when we think of hospitality, we don't, we think about this, you know, this guest list of who we would invite to our cookout. Like usually the people that are on our guest list would be our friends and our family and our neighbors or like people we enjoy hanging around with, people we actually like to spend time with. It's probably not on our guest list to have, you know, the lady from Duncan that messed up our coffee order that morning, right? It's probably not the guy from work that, um, is talking bad about you and spreading rumors. It's probably not the person that is um, not kind to you or the complete stranger. And I think hospitality looks a little different than what we first think of. In fact, there was a story in the news this week, I don't know if you saw it, it kind of went viral about these three guys that were going to a Red Sox game, and there was actually supposed to be four guys, but one guy canceled at the last minute. And so they had an extra ticket to this game. And so they were like, well, what should we do with the extra ticket? And they could sell it, you know, and get some money. They could invite another friend along. And one guy on the trip was like, no, let's just, let's just find a homeless guy and take him to the game with us. And so they actually found a homeless guy and invited him to go to the Red Sox game, took pictures with him, had a blast, and posted it. And it got all the social media attention and actually went viral. And I think when we think about hospitality looking a little differently, I think it looks something like this. And, but but it, so, so we wrestle with these ideas and, and we think about it like, we, it, why, the thing that I don't understand is like we, we share this kind of stuff on social media and we, and we hold that up as a picture of like, oh, this is so awesome, but yet how infrequent is it that it actually happens? Like we all love the idea of this, but we don't actually do it. 
But that's kind of what the kingdom of God looks like. It's like these things that we, we, we talk about and we think about, but we don't always do them, but they're very countercultural. They very much flip things upside down. And, and what is it that keeps us from actually doing this? What keeps us from being hospitable like that? I think as I thought about it more and more, it's just because it's pretty simple, actually. Like We're selfish. We're selfish people. We want to we, we, we're mostly focused on our own needs, our own things, and most of us, if we had that extra ticket, would just sell it and get some money back, and we would think about what we want, and when we think about what we want, we don't think about all the people that we walk by that are hurting and broken and just need a friend. When we, when we think about our needs, we're so focused on ourselves, we can't see the people that God puts in our path that he wants us to engage, that he wants us to get to know that he wants us to entertain and, and be hospitable towards. And so we're selfish and we, we don't see it. And I think a second reason we don't do it sometimes is that we just, we're so fo- we're, because we're so focused on ourselves, like our schedule reflects what we're focused on. So we don't even create margin in our schedule for this to happen. We don't, we don't have a set time in our week where we could actually have hospitable uh, things happen because we're so, so busy. We're all so busy. We have so many things going on. And then lastly, I think is the reason we don't do it is because it puts us outside of our comfort zone. And we don't like to get outside of our comfort zone. Can you imagine how uncomfortable that first inning was <laughs> with that guy? I bet it was pretty uncomfortable. But over time, you could see the smiles on their face. I think they had a good time. But there's an awkwardness that we have to embrace if we're actually going to practice this thing called hospitality, and it's going to force us out of our comfort zone. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be awkward, but we have to step into it. And we know it looks different. We know it can be a challenge. So what exactly is the way then to hospitality? I think for us to understand the way, we have to go to the one that is the way, right? In John chapter 14, verse 6, it says that Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so let's look at what Jesus did. And, and I think today we're going to take a look at the story where I think we can really see what it looks like for hospitality to play out on a bigger scale. And so we're going to be in the book of Mark chapter 8, if you want to get out your Bibles or your version apps. And uh, we're going to be camped out in verses 1 through 11. And, and here's what's going on in this scene. There is a crowd of people that are gathered together, and um, Jesus does something pretty incredible. And this crowd is not um, all friendly with each other. In fact, these uh, people in this crowd would probably be considered uh, strangers or enemies to the Jewish people. And so this is the crowd we see that Jesus is about to engage. So let's pick up in Mark chapter 8, and I'm going to read these verses 1 through 11. It says this, During those days, another large crowd gathered, and since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, and if you have your Bible, I don't want you to highlight or underline these next few words, because I think they're key to us understanding hospitality. He said this, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me for three days and have nothing to eat, and if I see them, uh, if I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. And his disciples answered, where in this remote place can we find enough bread to feed these people? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. And so he told the crowd to sit down on the ground. And when he had taken the seven loaves, he gave thanks and he broke them and he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. And they did so. And they had a few small fish as well. And he gave thanks for them, and he told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate, and they were satisfied. And afterwards, the disciples picked up about seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. And about 4,000 people were present. And after he sent them away, he got into his boat 
with his disciples and went to the region of Delmontha. Now, this scene's going on. Like I said, the crowd is gathered because basically a crowd gathered everywhere Jesus went. And some of you, when I read this passage, you're like, hey, I thought, I thought it was he fed 5,000 people. This says he fed 4,000 people. Anybody have that question? There, there's a reason for that, okay? This is actually one of the few miracles that Jesus actually repeated. And when there's a repetition in the scriptures, it usually is a big signal for us that we should actually pay attention because if Jesus has to say it twice, then there's probably a reason it's in there twice. And in fact, I preached on this feeding of the 5,000 a few weeks ago at Movement, and one of the things I learned is that that's the only miracle that is in all four gospel accounts. So it's a pretty big thing that it's in every story of the gospel. And then it happens again here in Mark, in Mark chapter 8, where he feeds 4,000 again. It's like, hey, maybe you guys didn't get it the first time. I'm going I'm to show you again what this looks like. And there's some really interesting parallels between the two and what's going on, and we'll, we'll kind of dive into that. Um, but one of the things that I think is really, really interesting to note to me that kind of stuck out as I was reading and praying through the scripture is that um, the disciples' reaction, like, Jesus says, hey, all these people are hungry. They've been with me for three days. I think we should probably give them something to eat. And what do the disciples say? Where are we, we going to get our food for this? Like, how are we going to do this, Jesus? When literally like two chapters ago or three chapters ago, they watched him feed 5,000 people with very few resources. And yet they turn around just a few days later, a few weeks later, or however long it was, and they say, well, how are you going to do that, Jesus? And, and it's not crazy because we think we look at the disciples sometimes and we think, oh, they're kind of dumb. They don't get it. But I, I think when we look at the disciples, we have to look at ourselves, right? Because how many times have we had an encounter, an issue, and we ask God and we pray, hey, God, can you show up in this? God, I need your help. And he does. And then like a month later, something else happens. And we're like, how, how's God going to do this one? Well, like, he always shows up. He always provides. And I, and I love this picture that he's like, hey, I'm going to show you again. I'm going to show you again how I'm going to be faithful if you just trust me. And, and I love the setting for these miracles because it shows us uh, the perfect kind of setup for what hospitality actually looks like. Because like I said, what are the key ingredients of hospitality? You got to have a, like a party type atmosphere, right? You got thousands of people gathered together here and you got to have food, but there's no food. That's the problem. <laughs> And that's why I said, too, when we think about hospitality in a different light, there's hostility. So how many of you would be hostile if it was three days and you hadn't eaten? <laughs> let's, let's really think about it. Like, like, it's Sunday. Imagine if I were Jesus and I just kept preaching and it's Mondays rolled around and Tuesday rolled around and we're still sitting in this room and all the snacks in your purse are gone, ladies, and the kids are running around the children's ministry, and Amy knows what's up, it would be pure chaos, right? And not to mention that, we wouldn't be in a nice air-conditioned room. They were outside, and everybody's been complaining about how lovely the weather is here. I don't know if you've heard that. It's been a little hot. And so you guys would start to get a little, what I call, hangry, right? Everybody know what that word means? Hangry. Some of you are hangry right now. You can't wait to get out of here and go get some lunch. You're so hungry, you're angry. And I think that's probably the situation that we would find ourselves in in that moment, three days into Jesus teaching out in this crowd field. And so it's like this perfect environment of like, what are we going to do about this thing? Because nothing is more hostile than large crowds of hungry people, right? And, and that's why I said we got to highlight this verse, those few words that he said. He had compassion on them. I think that's the key to hospitality is that we have 
compassion. I think that's the critical component of hospitality. Compassion drives us to do things that get us outside of our comfort zone. Compassion forces us to take the focus off ourselves and to put it on other people. Compassion compels us to do things that we probably otherwise wouldn't do. And Jesus had compassion. And I think it's interesting, too, that he didn't just have compassion in the moment. He also had compassion for these people's future. He didn't just say, hey, they're hungry. He's like, hey, they're hungry, and if we don't do something about this, on the way home, there's going to be problems, right? They're going to faint. They're going to, they're, the kids are going to be starving. Like, they may collapse from hunger. Like, he's thinking about these people's future, not just the moment. And, and I think that's pretty interesting because a lot of times when we have compassion for people, like we see a homeless guy on the side of the road, we might give them a dollar and have compassion in the moment, but do we really think about their future? Like, where is that gonna, guy going to sleep tonight? Where, where, where is that guy going to get his next meal? Where's that guy's family? Like, like, do we really have compassion for the future of these people, or is it just a momentary fleeting thing? And I think that I love that about Jesus, that he modeled that for us. And, and then I think there's a few other things we can learn from him in this. He, he stepped into the situation, not out of it. Many times when we see something or we see a need, because we are selfish, because we put the focus on us, we don't step into the situation, we step out of it. And we, and we say, oh, I'm going to go the other way. Like, I'm just going to turn a blind eye. Or we, say, we, we start to rationalize and excuse things about why we shouldn't be the one to do it. We say things like, I'm going to pray for that person, which is a great thing. But what if you're the one that needs to help them? He stepped into the situation. He didn't, he didn't send them away. He didn't say, hey, there's a Taco Bell half a mile down the road. Here's a buck. Go get it. Like, he didn't, he didn't uh, ignore the situation and just pretend like he didn't see it. He stepped into it. And he said, hey, guys, what are we going to do about this need? How are we going to help these people? How can we truly model compassion to these people? And then he didn't just do that, but he brought order to the chaos. And I love this about Jesus because he did this a lot. He, he, he modeled this idea of like bringing order into chaos or chaos into order. I, I love what it says. He just said simply, have the people sit down. Have you ever been in a situation where somebody's like completely irrational and they're just like going crazy and you're just like, hey, 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 just sit down. Just take a seat. It's going to be okay. Take a deep breath. Just sit down. I think we've been in those situations. And that's kind of what I I picture Jesus and his disciples like, hey, just get everybody to sit down. Take a seat. It's going to be all right. We're going to figure this out. And and he just kind of brings this chaos into a semblance of order because he had a plan. Jesus always had a plan. In fact, I love the, the feeding of the 5,000 story because it says when he, when he had them sit down, he's like, he already knew what he was going to do, but he brought the disciples into that plan. Like, he always has a plan. The next thing is he used what was available to him. He was aware of what he had to offer, and, and he, he gathered the resources that were available, which is really interesting because he is God himself. He could have just snapped his fingers, and there could have been food, but instead of doing that, he's like, hey, what do we have? Bring it to me. Bring it to me what you got. And, and I think this is the beautiful part of the story, too, is that what is brought to him is nowhere in any way, shape, or form even close to sufficient for the need that is at hand. It is so small. Not even, wouldn't even put a dent in it. But he's like, hey, bring it to me anyway. And I, I think the lesson we learned from that is that sometimes we don't think we have much to offer. We don't think we have much to step into the situation with. And we really do because... God's saying, just bring that to me, whatever that is, whatever it is that he's entrusted to you, bring it to me. Even if it doesn't seem sufficient, even if it doesn't seem rational, just bring it to me. 
And then I love what he does next. He gave thanks. He gives thanks for this small little portion that's given, even though it's not sufficient for the need, even though it's not what uh, can solve the problem. He gives thanks, and, and even though he is God himself, he, he, he still gives thanks to God and says, hey, I appreciate what you just gave me. Like, I know it all is yours anyway, and so thank you. And he models what it looks like to be full of gratitude and joy and to remember where everything and all of our source of nourishment and everything comes from. And then lastly, he displayed his power and provision. He said, hey, this is what we've got, but I've got some more where that came from. And he, and he, he prays for it. And, and the thing that I love about Jesus is that with Jesus, there is always, always, always more than enough. There's always more than enough. And so he, he takes it and he does this miraculous thing and he feeds everyone. And then it says that there's still seven basketfuls left over because there's always more than enough. And he doesn't just say, hey, take that home in a doggy bag. He actually collects it up because the other thing about Jesus is Jesus doesn't waste anything. He doesn't waste any situation we go through. He doesn't waste any pain in your life. He does not waste things. And so he shows us this idea of what compassion looks like. And I think compassion the key is the key, like I said, to hospitality because compassion brings about a change of attitude. When, you, when people know that you care for them, they care more about what you say to them. Right? When, they, when they know that you truly, truly care for them. And this, this kind of concept is all throughout Scripture. It says that, that as Christians, we are going to be known by the way we treat each other. Well, that's what we're going to be known for. Like People are going to know God is real when they see how we treat each other, when they see how we love each other, when they see how we step into other people's messes and walk alongside it with them. And that when people on the outside of Christianity look in and see how well we love each other, they want to be a part of that. But the flip side is very true, right? Because many of us experienced it where people that said they follow Christ didn't treat someone the way they were supposed to. And they're like, I don't want any part of that. We're known for our love. We're known for our compassion. And when we have compassion, it changes everything. That day it changed a crowd. It changed a crowd of hangry people to a, a crowd of satisfied people. They, they went home and their, their needs were met both physically and spiritually because they had a full belly. But they also knew that they had a Savior that could do anything that he wanted more than they could ever imagine. It also not only changed the crowd, it, was, it changed the culture. I don't, there's, there's a lot going on in this text that I don't have time to dive into today, but the feeding of the 5,000 was actually Jewish people that were on their way to the Passover feast. The feeding of the 4,000 was a bunch of Gentile people, which were considered enemies and strangers to the faith. But Jesus was saying in this moment, as he provided for their needs physically and spiritually, he was actually saying, hey, I'm about to do something new. I'm about to be hospitable not just to a group of chosen people. I'm about to be hospitable to all people. I'm about to do something that is going to be change the course of history. I'm going to go to the cross, and I'm going to be a sacrifice one time for all people. And that's really good news. So it not only changed the crowd, it's about to change the culture. And I think if we model compassion, it will change our community. Change our church community, it'll change this region. Can you imagine what it would be like if we all started to model this different perspective of hospitality where we actually invited people along with us that looked nothing like us? So, the question we've been wrestling with is how can hospitality lead someone to a relationship with Jesus? Well, 
We just follow the example of our Savior, right? We do what Jesus did. He, those steps that I just went through, that's what we do. That's how we do this. This is the way to hospitality. First of all, we have compassion, not just in the moment, but we have compassion for the future. For all those people that God puts in our path, we start to have compassion for their futures. And we step into those situations, not out of them. We step into the mess and, and we start to engage people that are far from Christ, engage people that don't look like us, engage people that are nothing like us, engage people that we don't even like, that we don't want to be around. But we engage them anyway because of the love of Jesus compels us to do it through compassion. So we step into those situations. The next thing is we bring order to the chaos. I don't know about you, but our lives are pretty chaotic. Mine is. I got two jobs, right? I'm a busy guy. And if I don't bring order into the chaos, if I don't put this on my radar, if I don't work hospitality into my daily or weekly rhythm, like it's not going to happen. I have to be very intentional about it. I have to, to move in that direction for it to happen. I have to, to, to do things that are going to remind me that it's not about me. Next, we have to use what's available to us. And, and I think as I, as I say that, many of you are like, I don't have anything. That's a lie. We all have something. God has given each of you something so special. You are made in his image. You have resources. You have uh, talents and gifts and abilities that he's given to only you. It's how we use them. So you've got to identify what it is that's available to you that you could use for hospitality. Maybe it's just that you're a really good cook and you can invite somebody over for dinner. Maybe you have a lake house and you can invite a stranger over to your lake house and have an awesome day at the lake. Maybe you have a boat and you could take them out fishing. Maybe you like to play badminton and you can take them to play badminton with you. I don't know what it is that you like to do or that you have, but all hospitality is is inviting somebody into that with you to say, hey, you want to do this thing with me? And guess what? Most of the time, people will say yes, because we live in a world that is hurting and broken and craving relationships like no, nobody's business. So we invite people in, and we, we, we take whatever it is that we've got available to us, and we start to put it then into Jesus' hands and say, God, take this thing that you've given me, it's yours anyway, and, and let me use it for your glory. Let me bless this and do more with this than I could ever do with it on my own. And we give thanks in that moment, just like Jesus did. And say, God, thank you for this thing that you've given me. And I'm going to put it in your hands. I'm going to trust you with it. I'm going to invite you into this process. And then I'm just going to let go of the results and see what you do. Because what it have to offer, Jesus, is not sufficient. It's just a little bitty piece. But you can take it and do something incredible with it. And then lastly, and the most important thing, is we pray then that God's power and provision would be displayed. Because on our own, we can't really change someone. We don't change hearts. We don't, you know, the way to hospitality isn't through us. The way to hospitality is actually through Jesus, through us. It's not us. It's him working in us. And the reality is we can't change people, but he can. And so we have to pray that when we trust him with whatever it is that he's entrusted us to, and we give it to him and we say, hey, I'm going to use this for your glory. And hey, I'm going to invite somebody into the process. I'm going to step into this mess with these people. God, do something, show up, and then it's awesome because the pressure's off you. It's like, what is God going to do with this? And it's a beautiful thing to be in that moment, to just trust him and to see how he shows up. And most of the time, he is going to blow your mind with the results. But we've got to step out in faith. 
So the question as we wrap up today is, is this, is like, who is it that you can extend hospitality to? And again, it looks different. Who is it that you can extend hospitality to? The person that probably came to your mind first is probably not the person that you're supposed to extend hospitality to. It's probably the person that you are like, I don't want to think about that person. Not that person. Anybody but that person. That's the person. So when you think about who you should be hospitable to, you've got to filter it through the lens, I think, of Luke chapter 6. I want to read these verses because the kingdom of God looks very, very different than what we think. It says this, If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those that do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them. And lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Compassion is the key. How are you going to treat those people that look nothing like you, those people that don't like you, and how are you going to take the focus off yourself and put it on someone else and step into that mess? I think we start by reminding ourselves that that's what we're called to do. I think a few weeks ago when Josh was here, he challenged you guys all to get out your phones. And if you didn't do it that week, I challenge you to do it this week. We talk about it every single week at Movement. Get out your phones and set your alarms to 6.03 a.m. and p.m. and pray a simple prayer. God, move me closer to someone that needs to move closer to you. And we do that because we need that reminder. Just like the disciples needed the reminder. Like, hey, he can show up again. We need that reminder every single day that our mission is not to just collect stuff and to, to be about us, but to put the focus on other people and that God has put in our path and to step into those messes and to walk alongside someone that's hurting and broken and lead them closer to Jesus. So if you haven't done that, set that alarm. Make that reminder. That is the way to hospitality. He is the way to hospitality, and it all starts with compassion. So we're going to sing together and just ask God, in this moment to speak to us through song, through these quiet moments as we take communion. And I just pray that the Spirit would move and that somebody would be placed on your heart this week that you can invite into your life, that you would step into their mess, and that God would use hospitality to lead them closer to Him.